But several years ago, uh, there were uh, a group of gentlemen from Meigs County, and they literally got a covered wagon and hooked it up to a team of horses and drove this covered wagon from Meigs County to Columbus to try to put a spotlight on the fact that we need some roads down here. And obviously, we did end up with a, with a decent highway. You almost feel like the state looks at that highway like, okay, now we've just given their people a faster way to get here and spend their money instead of let's put them a highway in to build this infrastructure up so we can help with their economic development down there. From the WEB Newsroom, this is 457SEO, a place for stories, information, and observations about our Southeast Ohio communities. I'm Atish Baidya. I'm Susan Tebbin. I'm Aaron Payne. And I'm Allison Hunter. Governor John Kasich's proposed state budget is being debated, picked apart, and probably by some set on fire. One of the changes is, at its core, a necessary one, a change in how Medicaid services are taxed. Ohio is one of the few states that could charge a so-called piggyback tax on the Medicaid services. So that extra tax, which is 5.75% for the state tax plus whatever your county tax would be, is charged to the federal government because they're in charge of Medicaid. That would generate money back to the state and the local county where the Medicaid care was given. That's going away. The feds aren't into it anymore. And so Kasich has to come up with a plan. That plan has several counties screaming from their county seats to the state house. In this episode, you're going to hear from one of those voices, a man who says he's tired of our region getting treated like unwanted burdens. But first, the push and pull concerning the Affordable Care Act and what changes could mean to addiction treatment. Specialists in the Ohio Valley are closely watching Washington's health care debate. The Affordable Care Act helped expand treatment for substance abuse in Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia, states with some of the nation's highest addiction rates. Aaron has a report on what happens when addiction treatment goes away. Tomas Green is transporting a group of people in treatment for addiction at the Jefferson Day Report Center located in Ranson, West Virginia. The peer coach for the center tries to go above and beyond for the clients. They need a ride, need my own personal transportation sometimes, but today we have the day report van. Green can relate to his passengers. He's in recovery himself. His experience taught him recovery can be difficult, and now he wants to help others as best he can. For me, I share with everybody, it's always good to have a good support system. Pending changes to the Affordable Care Act could have major consequences for the availability of treatment in a region that is basically ground zero for the nation's opioid addiction yeah. crisis. Oh, Rhonda, Rhonda wants me? Yeah. It's Rhonda 1 and Rhonda 2. We even spoke <laughs> Jefferson Day Report Center Executive Director Rhonda Eddy says a lot of what they do is funded through measures tied to the ACA, and a repeal without replacement would be damaging. It would impact us negatively to the point where we'd have to make some tough decisions about the level of care that we could provide, even to the point where we may not be able to exist. They report centers work with nonviolent drug offenders referred to them by the court system. They offer medication-assisted treatment, counseling, and other resources aimed at rehabilitation. Local law enforcement has embraced these programs. Detective Ronald Kearns with the Charlestown Police Department says the center is a valuable tool to the system as they can't arrest their way out of the epidemic. We understand that people have problems and addiction is a disease. It's nice to have an outlet where people at least have a chance to try to better themselves and, and kick the habit and become a productive member of society. The report center is in the infancy of offering these services, 
They established their facility just a few years ago. Eddie says Medicaid expansion through the ACA helps the Jefferson Day Report Center gain momentum. It certainly has expanded access to care, more behavioral health care, medication-assisted treatment, transportation, all of those things that support recovery. Treatment centers across the Ohio Valley have used the additional resources in hopes of reducing the highest opioid addiction and overdose rates in the country. Data from a Harvard and NYU study showing Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia, nearly 215,000 additional people were able to seek mental health and addiction treatment through the Medicaid expansion, and that may be a low estimate. A report from Ohio's Department of Medicaid claims their number is 50% higher than the studies. GOP congressional leaders are working to repeal the ACA, but have yet to agree on an approach. This is especially true for the ACA's Medicaid expansion. Reform, reduction, and elimination have all been proposed. In Portsmouth, Ohio, Lisa Roberts works with people struggling with addiction as a public health nurse for the city's health department. Scioto County, where Portsmouth is located, has one of the highest rates of opioid addiction in the state. The department offers Vivitrol shots to treat addiction and counseling to help with recovery. Robert says they will refer individuals to other treatment programs if it is a better fit. According to her, their program and others would be gone with a full repeal of the ACA. There would be a lot of people that would lose access to their Vivitrol injections, um, a lot of people that would lose access to their addiction treatment. It could just be catastrophic. Roberts has two examples of what happens when treatment is suddenly lost, one professional and one personal. Federal and state authorities shut down an opiate treatment practice while they were investigating Medicaid fraud and other allegations in September of 2014. Local facilities were overwhelmed, and some people had to travel up to 100 miles for treatment. Long trips proved to be difficult. Some relapsed. Others didn't make it. We did experience spike in overdoses, and we also experienced a lot of fatal overdoses. It was actually the most lethal month that we've seen in Scioto County. Her personal experience with the loss of coverage for addiction treatment came as part of her daughter's struggle with addiction. Vivitrol injections were what helped Robert's daughter sustain recovery, and she was covered under the Medicaid expansion. But when her daughter moved to Tennessee, a state that did not expand Medicaid, she suddenly lost access to the shots. Robert stepped in. I would have to drive it 400 miles <laughs> to give her that injection. And, uh, and eventually she was able to get it there through um, the Affordable Care Act. Her daughter later returned to Ohio and continues recovery. But Roberts understands that others may not be as fortunate. She says the lessons for the ACA debate remain the same even if the circumstances of her experiences are different. She and others fear repealing the ACA without a replacement could trigger a wave of similar events across the Ohio Valley. And there's a client there. As Congress continues its health care debate, the people Tomas Green drives to the treatment center wait to see what will happen to their coverage. Okay. Green says the road to recovery is a difficult one, but it comes with rewards. First comes the lessons and then the blessings. Yeah, right. Okay, I just have a quick question and I understand it, a mother's love, but how how is the mom allowed to drive her daughter's opioid treatment or medically-assisted treatment to her? Medication used in a medication-assisted treatment for addiction is prescribed. It's not like you show up to a treatment clinic and say, give me some of that methadone, and you'd get methadone. You have to see a licensed physician that can prescribe that medication to you. So it's a prescription, and you can also pick that prescription up. Some places 
going back to methadone, you can't really take methadone with you. There are restrictions on it, but uh, the restrictions are much looser with Vivitrol because it's not an opioid itself. It's something that blocks the effects of opioid use. So the Vivitrol was prescribed to Lisa Roberts' daughter, and she was just able to go pick it up and then drive it to her. With your research and the people that you've met and with what's going on in Washington now and the push and pull, is there a sense, do you get a sense of optimism? Do you get a sense of scrambling from the different services that are trying to help people with addiction recovery? I get a sense of a fog is rolling in, or better yet, a better metaphor would be a storm is rolling in, and that storm could go away if enough representatives and senators and lobbyists fight hard enough. I guess there would be some optimism in that there are so many different groups fighting against this health care plan right now in Congress that it may be dead on arrival. There are other factions that want to tweak it and keep going with this current format. And in those tweaks includes Uh, keeping Medicaid and the expansion, which would keep treatment in place for a lot of people. Still, some people would lose their treatment by losing the individual markets created by the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. To get back to your question, there's a, a sense of, there is a sense of optimism in that this is either not going to pass in its current form or not pass at all. When we come back, we had a long chat with a Meigs County commissioner whose political strategy includes his mom's advice. Sometimes you have to punch a bully in the nose. Meigs County commissioners have been meeting with government leaders and residents from all around the region to talk about proposed changes to the state budget that could negatively impact operating budgets by hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, Some of that discussion has to do with a Medicaid managed care sales tax that would be removed under the proposed budget. Meigs County stands to lose about $580,000 from the loss of that tax. Athens County could lose about $850,000 and surrounding regions could lose similar amounts. Here to talk to us about that and make some sense of all this is Meigs County Commissioner and longtime resident of Meigs County, Randy Smith. Thanks for coming, Randy. It's my pleasure. You've been talking to local leaders, um, and can you explain a little bit what you all have been talking about and a little bit about the budget as you guys see it? Sure. Um, We got a letter initially in July of 2016, if I'm not mistaken, and that letter, it actually went to the auditor. It didn't come to the commissioners, and it just basically said that there would be some issues with uh, with some portion of the sales tax in the budget, but the, the the state didn't expect many concerns or many problems because it would be an average of seven percent. Uh, so the auditor gave us that letter. We read it and we thought, okay, seven percent's not great, uh, but we've been able to make some significant advances in the last four years of saving money, finding new ways to create revenue. Uh, once the language came out, the formula came out, and, and then we were notified again, they sent us the letter the second time around, breaking it down county by county. And that's that's when we were notified that it was going to cost us 20, 21% of our sales tax revenue. And that's major, because that's where that near $580,000 came from. 
So immediately when we got that information in January, we started working the phones. Uh, we contacted the County Commissioners Association, asked them what was on the front that we could be involved in. Of course, it's a slow process with them because they're communicating with 88 counties. And uh, so we gave them some time, and they, they sent out some um, some directives, some ideas on or, and putting some meetings together, that kind of thing. And uh, we did. We attended a few meetings. Uh, the county commissioners belong to separate uh, committees that are, that are formed under the County Commissioners Association. This year, our president of the board is Mike Bartram. And for at least five years, he has been the chairman of the Small County Affairs Committee, which was actually created by a conversation with Mike and the former director of the, of the County Commissioners Association that, hey, we need a committee formed that addresses small county issues so we don't get, we don't get lost right. in the conversations at the state. I think there are 30 counties now that belong to that. It's a population issue. I think anybody under 50,000 population is is part of that committee. So we start reaching out to them because we know the smallest counties are going to be hit the hardest. And uh, 21% were one of the largest. And Vinton County stood to lose right close to a quarter of their sales tax at 25%. And um, Jay Edwards, who was recently elected to represent our uh, house district, also has a piece of Vinton County. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, as the budget got released, the information language of the budget got released uh, we decided okay so we're going to make some noise in Meigs County mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we did by uh, at least our initial I guess the starting point was contacting Jay officially getting him together with uh, uh, Representative Ryan Smith who currently is the chair of the House Finance Committee who also shares the other piece of Vinton County with Representative Edwards so we knew uh, Mr. Smith would be have the same issues and they were they were great and accommodating that we put together a meeting. Of course, we had to do it on a holiday, but mm-hmm. it worked out great. And uh, we had around 100 people in attendance at that meeting. The initial invitation went out to all the county commissioners, mayors, city councils, trustees in uh, Senator Hoagland's Senate district. And the district runs practically right along the river mm-hmm. from about midway through the state down to south of us. So that was kind of our target area. And as we looked at the, the breakdowns, it seemed like they had the highest percentages anyway. So we sent out 300 invitations, I think, and ended up with a third, which was great. And, uh, of course, you folks were there, so you heard some of the concerns of some of the other elected officials from the region. But, you know, Meigs County has long been viewed as, and not just Meigs County, we feel like it's the same with any of the, the counties that are close to the river. I mean, if you're south of 33 or south of Franklin County, you feel like they look at you like you're part of West Virginia. And, uh, we, you know, we've suffered a lot of consequences because of some issues and, and as a result of some things that have been done at the state for years. And uh, it's time we push back. And we've 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 banded together with some great people, and, and that's going to be our our mission until we've got nothing left to fight, is, is to make this right. For Meigs County, what is 580000 What does that represent as far as city services, as uh, county services, that kind of thing? If you look at our total operating budget for 2017, which is the issue will hit us third quarter of this year, I think we appropriated right at $5.4 million total operating budget for the county. Now that includes all county services, sheriff's department, and the like. So if you look at that, that's 10% of our total operating budget. Sales tax revenue total, including this, including just people that are buying goods in the county, our sales tax revenue com- to th- together represents about 54% of our total operating budget. Okay. And if average statewide, that's about what we've figured is that most counties, their total operating budget 
is is fifty percent of that is is sales tax revenue. The other fifty percent would come from real estate taxes, or the little piece of the the um, casino money that we get. Uh, one of the counties we talked to, and I believe it was Wyandotte County, they depend on sales tax to the point of sixty three percent of their total operating budget because they just don't have the property tax revenue. So you're talking for Meigs County a ten percent loss in our total operating budget, and you know where do you where do you fix that? Ten percent across the board is tough. Most of our offices are understaffed anyway. Uh, the sheriff's department certainly, in this day and time, is understaffed. Even though we probably have we probably have more deputies now than we ever have, and that sounds good if I say it that way. But you're talking about a staff of I think twenty two. In the whole you know, county. Yeah, in the whole county to run the jail, and and that's including dispatch, full time dispatchers, and, and road deputies. So. Uh, you know, if you look at 10% of each breakdown budget, you're talking about possibly the sheriff's department losing $100,000. Sheriff's departments all over the state, that's where that's where counties hemorrhage money. Mm-hmm. It's unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen with overtime, what's going to happen with jail costs. So you can't, you just kind of roll the dice or throw a dart and hope, okay, here's your budget. Hope you can work with that. Um, with us, we, we appropriate a budget to the sheriff that we probably know will definitely be in the red by the by the third quarter of the year. So we start putting certified unappropriated funds back into his budget to keep him alive. You start the year out cutting him $100,000 and know that that certified unappropriated money is not going to be there anymore. There's, you hope, but there's really, reality is there's no way to prevent layoffs. There's no way to prevent um, cutting back on projects to make that work. And uh, like I said, in this day and time, no sheriff's department can, can withstand losing staff. Of course, with the, the opiate epidemic and other things that you just are seeing right now that are uh, having, a, and it's not just with the sheriff's department, the opiate epidemic literally affects every office in the courthouse. When you look at the court dockets, when you look at the clerk's office, when you look at the prosecutor's office, it can even have an effect in the, in the treasurer's office if you've got somebody who's an addict is not paying their taxes. I mean, they're just, it's a, it's a, it's a huge mess. So just on the county level, there's no way that services wouldn't be interrupted. That's just the sad reality of what it would be. Emergency medical services, for example. Uh, our EMS office currently is, in, in a perfect world, stays funded by billing for squad transports. And there's a levy that was put on decades ago. And that hopefully is enough to fund uh, sometimes that's not the case. Expenses will be whatever, and a lot of times that usually comes from an unfunded mandate that you don't see coming until you get it and have to deal with it. And right now we're in the process of dealing with a new one. Uh, a lot of times that they, they, the EMS guys have to come to, to us uh, and say, hey, we've got issues with a squad. We've got to get replaced. Uh, one's broke down, and, and we don't have that in our budget. Obviously that's something you can't prepare for, and those things aren't cheap. So they have to come back to ask for county general money to provide those services or do those things. A lot of times because of the unfunded mandates or things that we don't expect. You're, you, again, you're, you're talking about a loss of total loss of 10% of the, the, the county's time, the entire operating budget. So if that money is gone, I mean, if nearly $600,000 is gone, where do you find the money to keep those services moving when it's not there? We survive on that. Now, granted, there are counties in the state that have a lot more goods that they're selling, a lot of the bigger counties, of course. So that percentage of the managed care uh, tax maybe wouldn't be as um, 
they wouldn't be as dependent on that because they have a lot of revenue coming in from other things. Plus, you got to look at your population. If you have a lot of folks on Medicare, or sorry, Medicaid, then obviously they're using those services, so you're going to receive more of that tax. Southeastern Ohio, we have a tremendous population of folks that depend on Medicaid. But the state in itself, in their sales tax portion of that, uh, in the two-year budget, they had to they had to plan for a $1.2 billion loss in sales tax. So the state was receiving upwards of $600 million a year from this managed care tax. So it was bad news when it came out that the federal government said, you can no longer charge that tax. Gave them plenty of time to start looking at ways to fix it. But at such and such date, this tax has to be removed. So the state was in panic mode. They were going to lose upwards of $600 million a year. So once that tax is removed, obviously, you lose that revenue. And that has happened in several states, not just Ohio, but the other states have remedied it it in ways that benefited not only the state, but also the local governments as well. What do those remedies look like in other states? Okay, so California was the first state to do this, uh, to remedy it, that I found. I'm sure there were others, but the one we looked at, uh, we were calling it the California model. And Michigan, when they did the same thing, they referred to the California model. And one of the th- one of the reasons why the government said you can no longer charge this tax was um, they. And it's amazing how the federal government works. I mean, I go on for days about the federal government, but the reason why they pulled the tax for the states that were using it, uh, their reasoning for it is you can't target one particular section of society and tax them. And of course, I agree with that. That makes sense when you lay it out there like that. But the the client or the the consumer of the Medicaid services, they weren't paying the tax. The federal government was paying the tax. So they they painted this picture that, okay, now we can't can't focus on this one group of society and tax them. It's not fair. So they figured that logic out. They were basically saying, you can't tax us anymore. We're not going to pay it because they're the ones paying the tax. So when California looked at it as, and that was the reason why they were pulling it, California said, fine, we'll just broaden the base. We'll just broaden the base and, and collect that tax from every consumer of those services, whether it was a private pay individual, whether it was private insurance, whatever it may be, if you get that managed care service, we're going to tax it. And of course, they they had no choice but to approve that. So California not only succeeded in keeping their managed care tax, but they also created a brand new source of revenue because then that tax was going into the state. The counties and the, and the local governments were getting their portion of that sales tax. No different. If somebody would open a new car lot there and start selling, everybody would get their piece of the pie. And Michigan did the same thing. And does that look like something that can work here? Ideally, you know, if I had the magic wand or if I ruled the world, they obviously would look at that model because it's been very successful in Michigan and California. Now, there is a slight difference in the way Ohio's tax is set up, and it's, it relates to the piggyback tax. That tax was allowed to be attached to what the state was going to receive from the managed care tax to allow local governments to get their portion of the sales tax. So that's the the only difference. Michigan and California didn't have the piggyback tax. We call it that. I don't know. They may have had something similar that they just called it something else, or it may have been set up that it just it was set up initially to go ahead and allow that money to funnel down to the counties and the local governments, and Ohio had to make effort to particularly attach that tax to it. It may not have been there in those two states. And that's been kind of the, not the argument, but some of that has come up. Well, Ohio's got the piggyback tax. They didn't have that. 
okay, um, move some legislation that corrects that. You know, it's not a, it's not rocket science. There, you know, let's let's break this legislation down that we're currently using, and fix it. Um, doesn't that- sound difficult when you say it like that because it, I mean, if they can. If they can pass a piece of legislation naming, and I, I'm being very facetious when I say this, but if they wanted to pass a piece of legislation representing a rock that sits out in the middle of a field somewhere in Scioto County because somebody told them that that rock fell off a wagon that was in the procession when Lincoln's funeral went through, they would pass a piece of legislation to recognize that. So the idea of, well, it takes time to pass legislation, I agree with that. If you can pass meaningless legislation, to recognize things or that. I, I say meaningless compared to this. Obviously, I like to see things recognized and, you know, the the support of the state like that. But something that's important. Fix this. It's important. Yeah. And it's it, 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 it speaks to uh, quality of life issues. Absolutely. And what was interesting about that, the night of the meeting, um, and I don't remember, Cuyahoga, I can't remember what percentage they stood to lose, but uh, it certainly wasn't 21% no. like us. But what I did was is I put Cuyahoga, Franklin, and Summit. Uh, I I did the math to say, okay, what would happen if they were losing 21%? Mm-hmm. And you've seen upwards of almost $100 million. 92, $94 million, I think, was Cuyahoga. And then Franklin County, I did them. They were like at $50 million. And, of course, that's not what they're standing to lose. I was just trying to make the point, okay, what if our metro counties were losing 21%? What what kind of response would the governor have? What kind of attitude would the House take if the metro counties were losing the same percentage as us? You know, would we be having this conversation if the metro counties were dealing with the same type of cut we were? And Ryan Smith made a great point. He said, well, I, yeah, I absolutely get what you're saying, but trust me, Cuyahoga, Summit, and Franklin are yelling just as loud. You know, whether it's 7% for them, because certainly they have that money committed to something. Is that money committed to something that's potentially life-changing for residents? Probably not. You know, I don't know that that would result in layoffs at their sheriff's department or or cuts in service. But they're just as dependent because they've gotten used to it. I think that's what the governor was trying to say, was making it out like you're using this money to create a slush fund, give pay raises. Okay, maybe there are counties that stand to lose 3% that certainly they could afford to do it because of their other revenues. And it's not funding their sheriff's department or it's not there to help offset costs for EMS or help do capital improvements because you've got roofs falling in. So, But maybe it does fund something that's unnecessary. Okay, I get that. But he made that comment like it was every county. Meigs County uh, courthouse employees, for example, uh, the, the deputy clerks, deputy auditors, those folks, hadn't had a pay raise in years. And once we got into 2014, I believe it was 2014, we have done, we have done so much. In 2013, when I took office, we had a um, $70,000 carryover. That was enough to make the first payroll until the new budget kicked in because you have to worry about that first payroll when you're closing your books. I'm not 100% sure on these numbers, but I just remember the progression. By 2014, we were had a quarter-million-dollar carryover. By the next year, we were at a half-million. And by 2016, we were pushing, and we would have had 
upwards of a $900,000 carryover. But at that year, we saw an opportunity to build a new dog shelter, which was desperately needed, and make some other capital improvements. So we went from barely making it to having a carryover that allowed us to go back and fix those things I talked about earlier. And we were, we were there. We were at a position that now we're starting to look at what other projects can we fund? How much more can we do with economic development to help those folks out? And now that we're positioned ourselves to do that, standing on our own two feet, here comes the governor with a hacksaw taking our feet out from under us, which is exactly what we feel like. Do you think there are still people that think, you know, that's where coal mining was, that's where manufacturing was? Is is there a way that you think that needs to transition, or is it transitioning? I do fear that that is is still stuck in the minds of of even some of our our state lawmakers that we're just not looking at the the whole state and that, how the they seem to base everything on most of the time it's population and. I do agree that in some situations that makes sense, but I also see in other situations it makes no sense. I hate to say it is they just don't care, but you eventually get that feeling. Like when it's it's when when so many things happen so often, it becomes a you know, what have we done to make them mad? You know, it almost feels vindictive. Our conversation with Meigs County Commissioner Randy Smith continues, and we ask him what he sees as the future in Meigs County. There's really nothing off the table, and we try to make that known to anybody we sit down with that's interested in coming into the county. And some of that going to divide and conquer because urban issues and rural issues, especially nowadays, you talk about education, employment, drug issues, mm-hmm. health care, yeah. they're the same. They're the same. And the difference being population. Sure. And all the same issues, all the issues are the same because people are living in just as much poverty right. or have just as many family issues at home. But that idea that it's a us against them, it is the same. It is, it's the idea of, you can call it class or poverty or the, that feeling of place right. or those people Whatever those people are, wherever yes, you're pointing, right. yep. wherever yep. you're pointing, and it's, yep. the, and it's the same. And so that feeling of we get left out. And so one of our questions that we ask here is how can Southeast Ohio get what it needs? You know, what does it need and how do we get it and how do we make sure that we work for it as residents and that our political uh, leaders, whether we voted for them or not, on the local right. level, on the state level, and on the federal level, do right Sure. Bias. What um, I think with what I have learned, that's a, about a twofold answer. The first thing is, uh, and I agree with you, you for one, you've got to break the partisanship down and realize that regardless of who's in office, that person's going to be there to represent you for a certain number of years. And you can be unengaged with them or you can be engaged with them. That's going to be your choice. Our, our commissioner's board, we're, we're probably the most unique or at least one of the most unique boards in the state. Uh, county commissioners are appointed or are elected, and then your position, if you look in the revised code, you are considered a part-time employee. You are only required to work eight hours every 90 days. Uh, you can hold external um, positions and work full-time someplace else. You're required to basically come to a weekly board meeting. And there are a lot of counties, that's what happens. Uh, we are committed to be a different. Um, we are in the office every day. Uh, we, 
we actually figured it out one day that we, uh, with our salaries and the amount of hours that we put in weekly, that we make about $3 an hour. Uh, we're, we're committed not to do other things. I mean, I pastor uh, two churches. Mike is a head football coach uh, from Meg's High School and Tim Farms. So those that's what we do externally, and it doesn't interfere with our work. So we have went out to our people, to our counties, and we go to every civic organization meeting, church meetings, council meetings, trustee meetings, whatever, to let them know two things. One, we want you to hold us accountable. You see something you don't like, somebody needs to bring it up. And two, you've got to stay engaged with what we're doing. We say that at public meetings. We put that on our Facebook page regularly. I put it on my personal Facebook page regularly. And in Meigs County, we have seen that happen over the last four years. You know, it started kind of quiet. You know, your family and friends would come to meetings or they would call or they would suggest. Uh, we, we were holding public we, – we've probably held more public meetings outside of our regular business meeting than, than any commissioners in the history of Meigs County. And it will traditionally be on things if an issue is brought up that we think our county is concerned about, we will put it out there as far as we can to get as many people involved. So if you're, you know, if you're sitting in Athens County wondering, okay, what do I do to help Athens County not lose almost a million dollars? Call the county commissioners and ask what you can do. Uh, we've learned that if one person has an issue and they decide to pick up the phone and call their state rep or their state senator or their U.S. senator or U.S. congressman, you might get a call back from, a, from an intern saying, hey, we got your letter and passed it on and we share your concerns and we'll do our best. You get a group of people together that are focused on the same concern, and every and, and yes, send a letter, but pick up the phone and call. Uh, if if you're if you're like me and you're willing to take it as far as you can, call their office, get an appointment, and drive to Columbus and say we need to talk. When the public gets behind what the local officials are going to do, then that's how you see things get done. We've seen it in so many different ways, and that works. Where did that philosophy of leadership come from? When you became commissioner, that you decided this is how you guys wanted to be a commission for Meigs County. It, it came from examining this question, and and for Meigs County, it's you know I've, like I said, I lived there my whole life. Um, graduated from high school, went to college, and came back because that's that's what I wanted to do. And anywhere I've traveled, and it's odd you can go, you can go out of state. I have I went on vacation to Myrtle Beach, and people see your tags, or you get in conversations. Say, hey, where you're from? From Ohio. Hey, what part? I know people in Ohio. I'm from Meigs County, and you get that stigma immediately. That it's either the oh, I know about Meigs County, and you hear Meigs County Gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear and and you hear that growing up. You hear it through school. Uh, you're I, I mean personally was challenged by professors because I was from Meigs County. And then you get people locally that look at the county, seeing it fall apart, and for years you hear this, how did we get here? How did Meigs County get where it's at? How did we get here? What caused all this? You hear those questions. It didn't take a week in office. I could answer that question. I know how we got here. And Tim and Mike have that same mentality. We, we focused on that. How did we get here? Yes, that means that we have to go back and fix things. But then we know going forward that we're not going to get there again. And that's just been, a, I mean, that sounds like a politician, but it's, it's been an absolute commitment. You know, Mike's from Meigs County, went to college, ended up playing in the NFL. He retired, came back to Meigs County. Tim Ely's a Meigs Countyan. He's farmed there his whole life. 
and he's he's invested in the community. So if you're going to put us in those seats, we're going to prove to you that you don't have to be partisan. You don't have to play politics. You can come in here and work and um, get voted out later in life or resign, retire, whatever it may be. We will leave a new standard. It's not going to be come in, come in for one hour for your board meeting, collect your check, and go home. I mean, I have went to the dog shelter when the dog warden has been snowed in and shoveled kennels and fed dogs because they couldn't get there. Tim has been on the roof of our courthouse with patching material to patch leaks. Mike has been out front shoveling snow when the maintenance man couldn't get there and do it. It's it's a commitment, and it has to be. And I, you tell that story, you get you get the, you get those people involved that you see at the grocery store, you see at church. This is going to impact the way we run the county. And well, I tell you what, we've got we've just got the best people. No offense to the Athens folks, but mm-hmm. you know, I the the people in Meigs County these days they've they've seen rough times. They they've lived through them, and uh, a lot of the stuff is is something you can't fix. You just have to deal with. But now when something comes up that you just look like you're being robbed, we've done a pretty good job being able to rally the troops to get behind us in what we're doing. This energy to speak out and to sort of make your voices heard more now recently. How much does the political climate that we're in now, um, some of the things said in the campaign, how much does, does that dynamic, do you think, play into folks being empowered or, or wanting to that's make a, their voices heard. That's an interesting question. I, I I probably have to agree that it would have something. It, it would have something to do with it. Um, I really never looked at it like that, but it it certainly didn't. How do you look at it then? I mean, I, I think it. I I I can say with confidence that it didn't drive me necessarily, uh, because I'm just an outspoken, matter of fact, non political got you know so and and with uh with my co-commissioners with with tim and mike we're we're all we're kindred spirits we just we just want to get stuff done so i can't say that it's that it's any part of the like national political climate or even with the state that that's prompted us to be loud or whatever but i can i can see how it absolutely would could have some effect on on just folks in the community i mean i i i think that probably fired up and ready to go sure i think i i i think well i think it's just a it's a shift in the communities anyway, you know, for, for millions of reasons, you know, for whatever it might be to get you turned on and ready to go fight a fight. But if you're willing to let somebody run you over, that is exactly what they're going to do. Whether it's emotionally, verbally, spiritually, whatever, they're going to, they're going to cut you down. And I, I think a lot of people in our community, that's what has rallied them more because that's the approach we have taken myself and, and Tim and Mike, it's sometimes you have to punch a bully in the nose. And for us, that looks like trying to rally everybody we can, let them know face-to-face what's going on, because a lot of times, uh, especially now, you've got people in our community that are so fed up with the political climate right now and the back and forth and you know the national levels getting a lot of media coverage. So they just shut their TV off. Or they they flip the radio station, or they 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 don't even bother picking up a newspaper anymore, because it's just so overwhelming. So they cut themselves off, even on some of the local issues. So we got to get them in there and say, you know, this is what's going on, and we need your help. And I think they see that as an opportunity that okay, let's let's collectively go punch a bully in the nose. That's a question of the does that engagement show up 
when you need it most, and maybe it's um, in initiatives at the ballot box in terms of taxes and sure. that. Are you seeing it on that end? Uh, there's a group of, of great folks that two of them work for Farmers Bank, and they got together two or three years ago and started doing a basket bingo at one of the community centers to benefit the sheriff's department and their canine unit. And they successfully paid for the entire canine unit training at the first basket bingo raised $8,000. I got my hand, I got to try my hand at bingo calling. (laughs) And uh, for the last two years, three years now, I've been. So you won. I'm there. (laughs) You did it well. I'm officially the bingo caller for that. But like the last year and and, uh, the year before, they were able to do that same fundraiser for different parts of what the sheriff needs. They bought uh, uh, fingerprinting, uh, new fingerprint technology for kids. They take those into the schools and do the ID cards for the parents. Yeah. Yeah. And they so and, and that was nobody asked them to do that. You know, they just said, "Okay, there's a need there. The county can't make it because of budget constraints. We'll just get together as a community and pull this off." You've talked about the stigma surrounding Meigs County yes. that has come from outsiders. Yes. So, what is your perspective of Meigs County that goes against the one quote unquote forced opponent from outsiders? Okay, so when when you grow up in Meigs County, and I want to try to pull all that aside. You know, because I grew up there, so that was my hometown. And and looking at it from what I see from the commissioner's office, where I am uh, at Rotary meetings or at Grange meetings or in places that, I, you know, this job takes me. I mean, I'm sitting in, in the studio, and that's some place I never thought I would be. This job took me here. So you go to places that you never expect, and you engage with people that you've never even met. It's not just, oh, we love, we love our county, and we're glad we stayed. I'm third generation living in the family farm, and I love it here. It's not, it's not even that. It is a from, from the 75-year-old man who will show up at a Grange meeting to offer a concern about something in agriculture and watch the response of the people that are there. How do we get involved to fix it is almost always the immediate response. And it goes from political issues like that People want to know how to get involved, how to fix it. Not to, to go crybaby about it, but how do we fix it? Because Meg's County has been so used to fixing itself, seeing itself through hard times, not being dependent on anybody else. And it's amazing, and I'm sure it's in a lot of other communities. You get somebody that nobody even knows that's diagnosed with cancer. There'll be a fundraiser, a basket bingo, organized by a group of people that doesn't even know the family. That mentality is, is thick in Meg's County. When you look at the stigma that has existed for a long time. You have this idea that it's, for one, it's, it's, it's Meigs County gold area. That's where they grow weed. That's what, that's what it is. Or Meigs County dried up and died after the coal mines closed, so there's nothing there. Um, the only thing that lives in Meigs County are, are, are welfare recipients and, and drug addicts. You hear that, or, or, and I, I've even asked my kids, you know, what, what do you think about Meigs County? Because obviously your kid's probably going to respond with what they've heard other people say because you've never asked them that question. And, and even today, you still get that even out of the high school level. Because I'll ask them. I'm engaged in a, uh, a ministry at the high school. And I'll ask them, what do you, what do you guys think about Meg's County? What do you hear? And that stigma still exists. And when you hear it locally, and then you get outside it and you hear it, it's like they're so wrong. They are abs- These are people that even even the, the folks that were displaced after the mines closed or um, – a lot of folks worked in Ripley or Ravenswood, West Virginia, or worked in, in New Haven at the, these plants when they closed. 
and now they're unemployed and they're in Meigs County and not working. Those people want to work. They, they want to work. They want to contribute back to their communities. That's what people need to see about Meigs County. These are, these are uh, people that, that want to help. They want to get involved. They want to work. They want to contribute to their community. They want a place that they can raise their kids, and hopefully their kids have a reason to stay. That's what we we want people to see. That's what I see in Meigs County. You kind of led into part two. What does Meigs County have to offer economically? And it seems like this is going to sound cliche, but the best resource right now that Meigs County might have is its people, sure. its workforce. Sure. What else does Meigs County have to offer economically that people may be overlooking? Well, I know, you know, steps that we have made over the last several years is, uh, and, and we're very thankful for our Community Improvement Corporation, and I'm not sure how familiar you guys might be with what we call the CIC. I'm sure Athens County has one or a version of it. And what it is is just a nonprofit group of, of folks that are allowed to come together. It's formed under the commissioners, and they can go after money that the commissioners can't. But we, we partnership with them, and the CIC provides half the budget for our economic development office and we provide the other half and we we by far have the best economic development director in the state um uh, perry varnado and, and is is amazing if you've never had a chance to talk with him or his uh, administrative assistant brenda roush they are I, I don't know how people have not other counties have not offered to triple their salaries to get them away from us because they are that uh, dedicated to what they do but you know through the cic and in partnership with the commissioners there's been um, vacant properties have been purchased and remodeled, developed. There are uh, there was an uh, industrial park that was established several years ago in Tupper's Plain area, which is right off Route Seven, which you know takes you straight into to Athens County, to Coolville, to Marietta, to Parkersburg, and, and those highways are great to get you right there. And there have been several spec buildings built on that compound, and there are actually we've done great getting folks to come in there and and lease those employee people <coughs> excuse me to the point that they uh, actually just recently built another so we have to look at what we've got av- available i think that's maybe what's unique with us because it would be great to pick up the phone and call the state and say okay we have a workforce help us get some economic development going but that's not how that works uh, it seems like they're so busy i i, I told uh, ryan edwards or ryan smith <laughs> just meld them that's just fine put them together I, I told him uh, at that meeting after we were done, I said, I'll give, you, I'll give you a deal. I will let you have Meigs County's entire operating budget if you will trade me what the maintenance budget is for State Route 270. And the reason why I did that was to put it in perspective, that they're spending more money to maintain one stretch of highway than we can spend to run the entire county on. So you're right. We have we offer we definitely have the workforce to offer. We have uh, our economic, between our economic development office and us, the commissioner's office and the CIC, we have the the idea that if we have something that we can offer you, whether it's property, which, you know, there are folks that are ready to sell property to help continue to develop places in the county that are starting to grow. Uh, We have the ability to offer tax incentives by developing what's called enterprise zones and, and freeze taxes for a number of years to attract it. There's really nothing off the table. And we try to make that known to anybody we sit down with that's interested in coming into the county. If, if there's a building there, at the it, and it, it was, um, I think it was one of the buildings at the industrial park. And we were talking to a, a group, a company that was coming in from Marietta, I believe. And they were concerned about the lease. You know, they knew what they were paying there. 
what are you going to pay? What are you going to charge us here? We have the attitude, let's get you in the building, and we'll deal with the lease later. Because we don't want you in the building so we can make money off the lease. That's the least amount of our concern. How many jobs can you create and how fast can you get started? And, you know, we try to work with our state partners. And, and you look at the roads that we have, you look at the highways that we have. Today, we have fantastic state infrastructure in the highways. We've, But then when you – to say that, but then you cross the bridge from Ravenswood, West Virginia, and get on State Route 33, the new stretch that goes to the bridge. If you're going to stay on State Route 33, which is the first highway you touch when you come into the state of Ohio, you don't hit a re- you don't hit a gas station until you get to Athens. I make that yes, part. yep. <laughs> <All> <laughs> and that's and, a problem. And you know, and the reason why I mentioned that is a few years back there was a big push to to try to fix those two dilapidated. Um, roadside rests that are right there on 33 in Meigs County. They've been there since the 50s. Why can't we have a welcome center? That's the first roadside rest you hit on 33 when you come in the state from from West Virginia. Right. We just ended up with modern versions of what they built in the 50s. The only difference between what we had and what they gave us is the bathroom, the toilets flush. And, you know, there was a push to say, why can't this be a welcome center? And the closest they came to, to fixing that or trying to help us make that better, put a welcome center there where we can advertise local events, festivals, job opportunities, tax incentives to, to just truck drivers that are coming through, that, that own owner-operators that have four or five trucks that maybe they want to team up with somebody and run a distribution center. And, hey, Megs County is willing to give me a tax incentive. I'll call this guy and see. State offered to give us actually to turn them over to us, not, not sell them. They were going to turn the roadside rest over with an annual $70,000 a year operating expense. If you want something better than just some concrete bathrooms instead of wooden bathrooms, we'll let you have them, but they, they take $70,000 a year to maintain. Wow. So, you know, and, and I mean, it was a really big push to try to get something in the ODOT budget that would, why wouldn't you want to have a welcome center on the first roadside rest entry into the state. coming into the state? And then we would have been able to use that to market. Uh, we would have hopefully been able to attract a pilot or a love truck stop to partner up. You see that all over the state. You see it in other states. It's almost to a point that we will we will be thinking inside, outside the box. We'll be we'll be as creative as possible. Uh, years ago, they used to take out the CIC would take out a full page ad in the Columbus Dispatch and some of the bigger uh, newspapers that that promoted Megs County. And it would say, bring your businesses where the employees are. We're not looking for a handout from the state. And I don't want, and we don't want our argument to look like we're looking for a handout, but we expect a hand up. They're our partners, right? Or they're supposed to be. You know, they pass the laws that we are required to enforce. Our sheriff's department's working their hind end off trying to enforce laws that Columbus passes. We're not passing those laws locally. We're having to enforce laws and regulations that they send down 33. You have the resources. You have aspirations. Can you achieve those aspirations under the current climate with the state? No, I don't think so. It's, it's a running joke in the office, and it's the same with a lot of commissioners when we meet with them. Uh, several years back, probably in 2012, 2013, there was this big, um, like a memo style communication that came down from Columbus and it almost hit every department that Ohio was encouraging this partnership idea. Shared services was the, the, the key word. If you could find a partner locally that you could work with, the state was pushing that. 
Shared services saves money. Helps efficiency saves you money. Meigs County has been doing shared services for decades. Athens County has been doing shared services for decades. Vinton County has been doing shared services for decades. We don't need Big Brother to tell us to find a way to consolidate services and work together. We've been doing that since the dark ages. Out of necessity. That's right. Taking care of our neighbors, taking care of each other. We do that. Uh, We're the role model for it. I don't know if they were trying to prepare us for this by, oh, if we throw this suggestion to share services, then whenever we cut them at the knees, it won't hurt as bad. We've been living that way. Uh, certainly, since uh, under my administration, that's all. That's that's what we know. That's that's a no-brainer. If we're faced with losing the equivalent of ten percent of our total operating budget because of this, then so much of our energy and effort will be put into trying to survive that. How can we invest as much time as we can right now into economic development issues? Because that's our number one priority. And, you know, we're doing little things in the county right now that, uh, and a couple of big things that I wish I could I wish I wish could tell you today and then tell you how we got there. We'll follow up. <laughs> Please do, because um, one of them is a very interesting story. But we do have, we do have a business going in right now in, in, in one of our, probably one of our poorest villages. And that's the interesting story I'd love to share, but I can't. That happened with a phone call. Uh, and, and one phone call... And I worked that, I call that work case because I'm a law enforcement background. But in our office, if you answer the phone, it's yours. that's your case. Because in the, in the police department, we were so understaffed. If, if you answered the phone, you were a uh, rape investigator, murder investigator, you were whatever if you answered the phone because there was no divisions. So you just did it. So we do the same thing in our office. I've trained them in some law enforcement lingo. So this particular situation, it became my case. This, this village that we have that's very, talk about dire straits, it's bad. Desperately needed something to happen. It wasn't going to happen. One phone call, just one phone call to the developer to say, wait a minute before you decide to back out, let's talk. And just literally a 15 minute conversation with this developer was able to facilitate a completely new real estate deal. And not only are they building, they're ahead of schedule and they're doubling the size of their original project. Nice. Which is going to create more jobs. And, 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 and that's how we, that's that idea of being in the office when the phone rings and, and caring whether or not you get this or you don't. And those are the things that we do. So I don't know if the governor has this idea that every county commissioner is coming in once a week, sitting for an hour board meeting and going home or going to our real job. This is our real job. And we're in here beating it every day trying to figure out, let's, we, got, we need economic development jobs. We've got to address the opioid epidemic. We're, we, we can't wait on the state to fix it. I'm losing people. I'm losing people that I graduated from high school with. I just hugged and prayed with a guy yesterday before he was sentenced to two years in prison that I was in Boy Scouts with, all because of this epidemic. We're not waiting on the state to fix that. And all these things that we're able to focus on because we've got – a well-oiled financial machine right now. How do we f- continue to focus on that? The economic development, the opiate epidemic, the job issue. If we're going to have to focus on how to survive, laying off staff, talk about all hands on deck. You know, you may see me sitting at the sheriff's department answering the phone as a dispatcher. You know, which I would do in a heartbeat, or down in the auditor's office answering the phone, because I still have to be there. It's just a, it's an insane concept and I don't that's what I I guess I if I had to pick 
one thing I would want the governor to get out of what we're trying to do here is take a second look at the southern end of your state. You know, these are these are hardworking, taxpaying, engaged people that that want to be part of the solution. Why do you look at them like they're the problem? Or why are we made to feel like we're the problem? Well, that sounded like a political poster, didn't it? <laughs> but it's it's as I, I'm being as real with you as I can be, you know, because I, I'm I'm so I'm so vested in the county. My, I raised my babies there, you know. My wife and I we're, we're involved in our community, and we know what we know the people we've got, the potential we've got. We don't want catered to. We don't want, like I said, we don't. And it's, that's the cliche. We don't want the handout. We want the hand up. You know, there's no reason that that this couldn't have been looked at as okay. Let's find a, a hold harmless way. Let's let's look at our counties that are going to lose more than 20 percent of their sales tax, and let's give them special consideration. We'll shape the state. Will, let's let's be willing to lose a certain percentage of this 1.2 billion in just one fraction of their sales tax. Let's be willing to shave off some of that fee to go down to those areas. Let's engage the the bigger counties to understand, okay, we can't help you with your 3%. You guys are going to have to deal with that. Well, maybe we'll get you later. Let's focus on these guys that are are trying to to, um, rise up. This is not because Randy Smith ever wants to run for governor, state representative, (laughs) state senator, or anything. I don't know what color does your hair go after it turns white. Off. Because that's where I'd be. (laughs) But if I sat in that office, if I if I if if me the guy that, that that I am, how I was raised, or what you know my convictions are, was sitting in the governor's office, and I had to deal with this, you got to take a step back and look at what's what's important. Why am I here? Why am I in this job? Well, I'm in this job to make the state of Ohio better. How do I do that? How do I do that as it relates to this cut? Who is this going to impact? How is this going to hurt? What what can we do? If it's going to be a loss to us, Vinton, you know, Megs, Vinton, Athens, these counties that are losing a bunch, pick that pick that starting point. Okay, let's let's look at everybody who's going to lose more than fifteen percent. Let's look at them first. How do we fix that? Well, I start looking at state agencies. I start looking at, at how big my state government is. Do I need these budgets as big as they are? Do I am I am I as the governor sharing services? Are my agencies sharing services like I'm expecting the local governments to do? we're passing all of our laws, rules, and regulations onto these guys to do. How can I help them succeed? Am I not here to help Ohio succeed? That's where I would be if I, if I were in that seat. How do I make them succeed? Well, it's, if it's got to be a hard decision to be made, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be bashful picking up the phone and calling Cuyahoga, calling Franklin, calling those counties and saying, look, we got this problem coming down the road. I'm going to have to fix it. I'm going to I'm going to propose a fix that saves our, our Southern guys because they're desperate. And you guys will have to go ahead and lose your 7%. We're going to work this out later, but remember, I'm here to fix the state. And I would be so engaged with them people, they'd be tired of hearing about it. They would be tired of hearing from their governor because I want to know what affects you in Athens, what affects you in Meigs, what affects you in Franklin. We were talking the other day in the office, is, is does he know how to get south of, of State Route 70? D- d- you know, Because you feel like he doesn't, like once you hit Bexley. Ohio disappears. When we put this together, we did send an invitation to Governor Kasich. We, we certainly didn't want him to feel like that we were going to have a bashing session behind his back. We wanted him there. And he did send two representatives. Uh, they didn't ask questions. They didn't. We, inter- we introduced them as being there. And uh, the idea was they were going to sit and listen to the concerns and take them back to the governor. And, and 
uh, we've yet to hear anything. So just we'll say he's working on it. We'll stay mm-hmm. hopeful, and you'll stay loud. Oh, you better believe I'll stay loud. County Commissioner Randy Smith, thanks for coming in. Can't wait to see what's going to happen in Meg's County. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much for for being engaged in this. This matters a lot. And stay tuned. We'll find out what's going on in that in the economic development. Those things I can't talk about. about. Those things you can't. You will return. I will return. That was the key phrase. And that's it for this edition of 457SEO. We are on iTunes and Google Play. Remember to like, subscribe, and give us a rating. Five stars. We're looking for five stars ratings because that helps us get the podcast out to other people, and that will shape how this podcast goes in the future. You can leave a comment as well. We will receive any feedback as long as it is constructive. So we look forward to your comments on our conversation. This podcast is recorded in WOUB Public Media's Telemix Studios. Adam Rich is our sound engineer. I'm the editor. And the music is provided by Nathan McGuire. Thanks to everybody that participated in this podcast. A big thanks to Meg's County Commissioner Randy Smith. Thank you for coming into the studio and sharing your insight into your county. Thanks for listening. I'm Aaron Payne. I'm Allison Hunter. I'm Susan Tebbin. And I'm Atish Baidya. Thanks. Peace out. We did it. Only you said that the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the anchor whisperer. <laughs> Talent management. Talent management. Mm-hmm.